0: Welcome to Torah Imecha, Nach Yomi, with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Norma Mintz, and today we will be studying Micha, Perek He, the fifth perek. Yesterday, we learned the fourth perek of Sefer Micha. The fourth perek primarily features Duvrei Nechama, words of comfort to the people regarding the end of days. The perek describes a time when all of the nations of the world will recognize Hashem and they will flock to Rishalayim as the world's central location for truth. In this time, the disparate kingdoms of Yehuda and Israel will be unified once again. Omikadaz does, does briefly rebuke the nation for reliance on foreign allies. He ends the parak with the reassurance that the enemies of Israel will be punished in the end of days. Parake continues to share divrei nechama, words of comfort, with the people of Yehuda. Many understand the parak as having four parts. The first in psukim 1 through 3, describing the future renewal of the Davidic dynasty. In psuk Aleph, The text seems to address the city of Beit Lechem Ephrata, which contrasts it from a second city by the name of Beit Lechem, which is found in the territory of Zulun. This Beit Lechem is the hometown of King David so many years before. In the 16th parak of Shmuel Aleph, we find the parak in which Shmuel comes to the house of Yishai to find Hashem's chosen successor, successor for King Shaul. The pasuk reads. Zair Least among the clans of Yehuda, from you one shall come forth to rule Israel for me. Rashi explains that this is emphasizing the surprising nature of the chosenness of the household of David, as descendants of Ruth, the Moabite, who many may have assumed disqualified the family among the many important families of Yehuda to be chosen for the monarchy. Of course, this is one of the essential motifs of the Davidic dynasty, beginning with the complicated story of Yudan Tamar in Parak 38 of Bereshit, that the potential for greatness arises from complicated, imperfect beginnings, and that it does so over and over in the story of David and his family. Rashi references the pasuk from Tehillim 118 as epitomizing this phenomenon. Even ma'asu habonim haita l'rosh pinah, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. Radak in fact understands that this phenomenon here is describing the city of Beit Lechem itself, which is a small town relative to most cities of Yehuda, And yet, it merited to be the birthplace of David and his ultimate descendant, Mashiach. Many of the commentators on this pasuk, however, including Ritzudot and Malbim, make the point that Beit Lechem is the emphasized birthplace of David, but not necessarily that of Mashiach, as they are responding to Christian writers who point to this pasuk as support for their understanding of the Messiah's birth in Beit Lechem, or Bethlehem. Rav David Sabato explains that as this parak celebrates the future messianic king, in the background stands the deep disappointment regarding the kingship of Chizkiyahu HaMelech. Chizkiyahu was a great king with tremendous potential, so much potential that the Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin 94a, Bikesh Hakadosh Baruch Hu la'asot Chizkiyahu Mashiach. At one point, the Holy One, blessed be He, sought to designate King Chizkiyahu as Mashiach. The Gemara goes on to explain why Chizkiyahu was not so designated, as he does not sing Shirah or song in praise of Hashem, as his predecessor David did. It is a complicated discussion, rooted in a nuanced understanding of the figure of Chizkiyahu in Sefer Lachim Bet and Divrei Amim Bet, but for our purposes. It is important to understand that Micha felt the loss of the thwarted opportunity of his time. Pasukvet describes that the people will suffer at the hands of their enemies until they are finally redeemed and the extended nation, uh, extended nation will return and reunite. It is interesting that in the previous parak, the text also employed the image of a woman in childbirth. Though there, most of the commentators assume the expulsion of the fetus had a negative connotation with the expulsion of the people into exile. But here, the labor seems to signify the people being delivered by Hashem following the difficult labor period. In both images, the labor period is a period of difficulty that must be endured, but with very different conclusions. With the sequence of Sukim 1-3, through three, we find the development of the figure of Mashiach, from the simple beginnings described in Pasuk Aleph, to the strong and effective leader that he becomes. Pasukimel, or three reads, Ba'amad, b'oz Hashem Big on Shem Hashem Elokav, Ki He shall stand and shepherd by the might of Hashem, by the power of the name of Hashem his God, for they shall dwell secure, for he shall become great to the ends of the earth. And how fitting that in this Pasuk that the text should particularly emphasize Mashiach's shepherding of the people in the end of days, when it says, This frames this as his Davidic evolution from simple and unassuming to great and powerful. Psukim four and five describe the peace that will emerge in messianic times. However, in Pasuk Dalid, Micha asserts that should Ashur threaten this peace, then Hashem will establish seven shepherds and eight princes to fight and punish the enemy and to restore the peace. The naming of Ashur as a threatening enemy is somewhat strange, considering that the Assyrian empire collapsed in the 7th century, but the reference to the specific nation underscores Revsabato's point about the echo of Khizkiyahu's potential throughout this parak, as Ashur was the dominant enemy in his time. But the idea is meant to be understood more generally for us. As for the seven shepherds and the eight princes, the Mepharsham bring many ways to understand this, in, Sukkah, in the Gemara of Sukkah 52b, the Gemara asks, who are these seven shepherds? And the Gemara explains, David is in the middle, Adam, Shet, and Metushelach are to his right, Avram, Yaakov, and Moshe are to his left. And who are the eight princes among them? They are Yishai, Shaul, Shmuel, Amos, Tzfania, Tzidkiyah, Mashiach, and Eliyahu. In his commentary, Rashi cites this Gemara and goes on to say, and I do not know how or why Chazal identified these specific individuals. I will just take a moment to note how powerful it is to see Rashi's acknowledgement of his ignorance of anything, considering the vastness and the depth of his understanding of so very, very much. In fact, Mavim takes a very different approach in both understanding Sukim 4 and 5, and also in identifying the players in this Pasuk. First, he asserts that the power of shalom itself, or peace, um, as it will emerge in the days of Mashiach ben David, that no one will even have to fight. Through the recognition of the world of God's dominion, even Ashur will turn to us and want to be part of the covenant of peace. The parts of Sukim Dalet and Hay that describe fighting then either speak about the history of our people or of the time of the war of Gog and Magog and of Mashiach ben Yosef. In explaining the seven shepherds and the eight princes, the Malabim actually gives two sets of identifications. One reflecting the people of Zman HaKodem, the previous period of time, and one reflecting the future based upon the Nivuot of Yehezkel in Prakim 32 and 38. As such, he states that the eight princes in the one that's for Zman HaKodem, he says that the eight princes are the last eight kings of Israel. Yehoahaz, Yoash, Yoruvam, Zachariah, Menachem, Pekachiah, Pekach, and Hoshea. He actually does not include one king of that period, Shalom ben Yavesh, whom re- who reigned for only one month. The seven shepherds are the final seven kings of Yehudah, once again attributing the shepherd title to the Davidic dynasty, which is to say that he identifies them as Hezekiah, Menasheh, Amon, Yehoahaz, Yehoiakim, Yehoiakin, and Zedekiah. He actually does not include Yoshiyahu in his list, which I personally do not understand considering his importance, even relative to most of the other kings in this list. The Malbum then understands these Psukim as also projecting the future war of Gog and Magog. In this understanding, the Seven Shepherds are something very different. They are the nations that will join Gog and Magog in battle, which Yichazkel identifies in Parak 32 as Egypt Elam Meshech Tuval Edom, princes of the north, and Sidon. The eight princes, according to Malbim, are based in Yechezkel's 38, and they are Gog, the leader of Magog, Meshech, Tuval, Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, and Beit, Togorma. Uh, These nations will attack Yerushalayim, but they will fail to overcome it. So in this understanding, the Malbim read the pasuk very differently, as these shepherds and princes do not come to prevent Ashur's success, rather they are his allies. But ultimately, Malbim and everyone reads this psukim as saying that ultimately Eretz Yisrael will have lasting peace. Psukim 6-8 through eight describe the remnant of Yaakov, She'iri Yaakov, among the nations, those of our people who survive and endure the difficulties of exile. The text depicts the people using two different images. First, they are, like dew from the Lord, like droplets on grass, which do not look to any man, nor place their hope in mortals. Both Rashi and Radak understand this image similarly, as the remnant of Israel recognizes that all they have is dependent on Hashem. As human beings, we have no control over dew or rainfall. The presence or absence of each is solely determined by God. Similarly, the Sheirit thus awaits the ultimate redemption from Hashem, understanding the futility of trusting in any other force. In the second set of imagery, the text reads, Be'haya Sheirit Yaakov b'goyim bekerav amim rabim, ke'aryeh bebehemot yar ki'kfir b'edretzon Im The remnants of Yaakov, of Jacob, shall be among the nations, in the midst of the many peoples, like a lion among beasts of the wild, like a fierce lion among flocks of sheep, which tramples wherever it goes and tears apart, and there is no rescuer. In the second contrasting image, the remnants of Israel is dominant and aggressive as it avenges its suffering. They are compared to a lion, lion seen as the king of the beasts, making its way through flocks of sheep and rending anything in its path. There is no hope for their enemies, as Hashem finally avenges their pain. The final and longest section in the parak is Psukim 9-14, which describes the eradication of idolatry from Eretz Yisrael. In the beginning of these Psukim, one might think that the Psukim are berating Ben Israel, but the commentators generally do not understand this to be the case. The Psukim read, In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy the horses in your midst and will wreck your chariots. I will destroy the walled cities in your land and demolish all your fortresses. What does it mean that God will take away the nation's horses, chariots, and fortresses, and yet that this is not meant to be understood as a punishment? Radak explains that this is nechama, as it explains a new reality of peace, in which everyone recognizes that Hashem is all we need, so there will no longer be a need for horses or for chariots or fortresses for protection. This then expands to explicitly forbidden things that people may choose to rely on in order to feel assured of their security also, such as sorcery and idolatry. Pasuk 12 goes so far as to say, And no more shall you bow down to your own handiwork. The description seems to be asserting a trend, in which members of Bnei Israel felt the need to turn to supposed sources of power other than Hashem. And this stands in contrast to the She'irit, the remnant, described as the Duke just a few psukim earlier, as those people were entirely reliant on Hashem. At this time, Hashem is rewarding those who place their faith in Him, making it obvious to all that ain' od mil there is truly no one but Him, no source of strength or success. Today, we learned Perek of Micha, which is comprised of four sections of Divrei Nechama, words that are meant to comfort the people in response to their punishment from Hashem. The Perek first celebrates Mashiach, who will arise and shepherd the nation of Israel in this next great stage. It also speaks of the eventual peace that will reign during this time. Next, it describes the primary beneficiaries of this period will be the Sheirit, the remnant of our nation, those who were loyal to Hashem, and understood that he is the true source of all that we need in this world, and who will punish our enemies who cause so much suffering over time. Finally, at long last, we will have no need for any items that falsely serve to assure us of our security, such as chariots, sorcery, idolatry, or anything else, as we will all truly recognize, that there is no one or nothing to rely on in this world but Hashem. Thank you for studying together the Iloneis Riva Rivka, but Alexander Sender.